Hello everyone, a very warm welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you're joining us, A Reason for Hope. Here's an hour-long live broadcast where you can send in your questions on God's Word, the Bible, and we will delve into Scripture to find the answers to those questions. That's right, you can send your questions in through our various online platforms, and we have wonderful pastors and brothers in the Lord here that's going to endeavor to answer those questions for you. So really, any honest question you have uh, pertaining to Scripture, maybe even worldview or things going on in the world, prophetic things, end-time things, something going on in your own world, you'd like a scriptural and biblical perspective, that's what we're here to accomplish for this next hour with the help of the Lord and the Holy Spirit and His Word. So we're very glad that you are joining us today. My name's Dave Robson. I will be hosting and keeping my eye on all those multiple uh, online platforms with us as well. To my left, your right, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing today? It's good to see you. Yeah, I'm doing great. I actually lost my cell phone. Uh, we know where it is, but it won't be in my possession till this evening. And just these few hours separate from my dependence on that device, I can feel my social skills slowly returning to me. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad thing. Sometimes I intentionally leave it at home when I go out, and it's actually a nice exercise. So, well, I hope that gets returned to you. Also with us, our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Pastor Scott Richards. How are you here doing today, sir? I'm yeah. doing great. It's yeah. uh, awesome to be here, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, I've got uh, lots of fun things to discuss today. Yeah, 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 you just gave me a bit of a heads up, so we'll get into that in just a moment. Well, as I mentioned, the reason for hope is uh, not coming up on your screen for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> TV go dark. Yeah. Yes, let me plug this in. Yeah. And then in a moment. There we go. Is it there? No, no. Nope. No, let's it's try again. Bad. People on the radio have to be so confused right now. I know. Yes, that's right. right. We're having a little we're, technical we're, we're issues. Back. Yeah, I'm confident this time. That, there it is. There we go. There's my little presentation. The Reason for Hope is uh, an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, or whatever time that is for you all around the world. Of course, you can join us wherever you are through the wonders of the internet. Uh, CalvaryChristianFellowship.com is a great place to go to view our broadcast here. If you go to that Watch Live tab, it will take you out to our live page. But while you're on our website, be uh, be our guest and just kind of click around there. We have some wonderful events coming up and, of course, services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you're in the Tucson, Arizona area looking for somewhere to fellowship, we, you're more than welcome to come and uh, check us out. But for the purposes of today, follow that Watch Live tab. That will take you to our live page. When we're on air, you'll see a video there of us and you'll see the chat function. You can sign in with a username of your choice and be part of the chat there. And again, I will be interacting there with you. The direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church or follow the link from our website. And when we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show. You'll see a schedule of upcoming shows, not only Reason for Hope, but our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship and other events that we have right there. So that's a great place to go. Also, of course, we're on Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. If you've been blessed by this ministry, it's a great place to like and share. We'd love to reach out not only to yourself, but to the people in your sphere of influence. So you can be a minister and share those uh, videos around. We'd sure appreciate that. But that's another way you can send in your question in the chat function on Facebook as well. We have an app for your mobile device, whether it's on your iPhone or uh, um, uh, Android. Uh, you just look for that uh, Calvary Chapel White Dove logo there. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you can download that on your cell phone or your iPad and all those kind of things. We also have a channel on Roku and Apple TV. So if you have those devices or a smart TV with 
that capability. You can watch us on your big screen as well. Uh, we're on YouTube, of course. The channel is called A Reason for Hope. So just search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube. That's a great place for archives as well. If you just go to that live tab, every time we've gone live, it archives right there. So if you missed a show or just want to re-watch it or catch up or even our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, YouTube is a great place to go for that. Once again, like and share and subscribe. And if you click on that bell, that means you'll get notified when we go live as well to a little, little jolt and reminder. Um, so we'd appreciate that as well. It helps us to grow this ministry and our channel there on YouTube. Our pastor, Scott here, Scott Richards, is on, on uh, Twitter, at Scott R4H. He posts highlights from the show. He posts commentary on world events and news events and things like that. So many just very crazy and interesting <laughs> things going on. So um, I enjoy getting just a, a, a biblical and a Christian perspective on all of those things. So follow Pastor Scott Richards on Twitter, Scott R4H. This is a new thing. We're on Rumble. This is kind of a YouTube alternative. Look for A Reason for Hope, Bible Q&A. And our videos, did you say, Sean, that when we go live, they post straight to Rumble? Is that it, how it works? Yeah, it will be uploaded after the broadcast ends. You'll be able to watch those post-facto. Gotcha. So if you're you know, boycotting one of the other uh, platforms, Rumble's a good place to go as well. That's available um, for you. It's a relatively newer platform for you there. And then last but not least, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com is our email address. Uh, you'll certainly want to use that if you listen to us on the radio uh, because you are listening to our last show that we did pre-recorded. So we're not live on the radio per se, but all the other platforms we are live. But use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we will get to those questions on our next uh, show and consider joining us on one of those live platforms uh, whenever you can and, and feel inclined to do so. So with all that being said, Pastor Scott, would you like to pray before we go any further we love to pray and just dedicate this time to the lord of course and well we absolutely need his power and guidance in yes, all of we this do. we certainly not want to do anything uh, presumptuously in our own power and strength when we have the opportunity to ask him for the power of the holy spirit to do the job mm, so amen let's, amen let's go before him father i thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to explore your truth and your love and lord we thank you that in your word we find both and boy there's sometimes your truth is very bracing uh it is sometimes there are times lord uh, when uh, it cer certainly does challenge us to our core, and sometimes people get angry about that. Lord, we pray that we would not uh, sh shrink back from sharing your truth, uh, especially when it's tough truth, but uh, may we share that tough truth always uh, in the compassion and grace that we see demonstrated in you when you walked among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your son. Thank you, uh, for him dying for us. Thank you for him rising from the dead so that we could be saved out of this wicked world and the darkness that uh, really enslaves so many people without them even knowing it. Lord, we pray that as your word goes forth, uh, you would accomplish through your spirit uh, perhaps even miraculous things, maybe even the most hard-bitten, the most cynical uh, that might be watching, might have their hearts turned to a genuine saving relationship with you. And we pray as well uh, for those of you who, uh, out there that love you and uh, want to follow you, but maybe feeling a bit discouraged and worn down uh, by the constant torrent of uh, cynicism and, and hardness in this world. Uh, may this broadcast be a breath of fresh air to them and uh, encourage them and help them to focus in on the fact that uh, if you did not spare your only son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not along with him freely give us all things? Mm. We thank you for these truths in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen.
Amen, indeed. Uh, well, Scott, you mentioned before the show something <laughs> well, <laughs> that I thought you may have been joking and still hope that you are. But Well, truth, it is in the Odyssey Files under Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Uh, headline on the foxnews.com website uh, goes something like this. Uh, Pentagon officials suggest alien mothership in our solar system could be sending many probes to Earth. A new research paper in draft form comes from the Pentagon's all domain anomaly resolution office. Uh, well, here you go. Wow. This, we, we're not making this up as much as we maybe like to uh, <laughs> think we were making it up. It says Pentagon officials said in a draft document last week that aliens could be visiting our solar system and releasing smaller probes uh, like missions uh, conducted by NASA when studying other planets. We do it. The space monkeys must be doing it, essentially. I'm kind of putting my cards on the table. Uh, my cynicism, cynicism on these things. A draft research report uh, authored by Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office and a recipient of your tax dollars. And Abraham <laughs> Loeb, chairman of the Harvard University Astronomy Department, these are heavy hitters, was released March 7th and focuses on the physical constraints of unidentified aerial phenomena. For those of you uh, not uh, paying attention uh, to the latest and greatest, we don't call them uh, UFOs anymore. They are unexplained aerial phenomena. So make sure you get your terms uh, correctly. Quote from this uh, particular dissertation says, an artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to Earth, an operational construct not too dissimilar from NASA, NASA missions. These dandelion seeds, I'm using their term here, could be separated from the parent craft by tidal gravitational force of the sun or by a maneuvering capability. Well, uh, this uh, particular uh, endeavor uh, was uh, part of a group that was established in July 2022. It's responsible for tracking objects in the sky, underwater, and in space, or possibly an object that has the ability for it to move from one domain, uh, read dimension, to the next. Congress tasked NASA to find 90% of all objects near Earth that are larger than 140 meters in 2005, uh, which uh, resulted in the technology they are using to uh, uh, support this particular endeavor. Uh, in October 19, 2017, this particular uh, uh, series of, uh, of uh, I guess we would call them uh, uh, research devices, uh, detected an unusual interstellar object that was literally uh, named Scout in the Hawaiian language. The object was cigar-shaped, apparently flat, and was propelled away from the sun without showing a cometary tail, leading some scientists to believe that it was artificial. Three years later, another object was discovered, the report noted, uh, namely the NASA's rocket booster, which had no cometary trail. So the report said six months before this um, Hawaiian Scout, if you will, made its closest appearance to Earth, a meter-sized interstellar meteor crashed on Earth and exhibited an identical speed relative to the sun at large distances to this alleged alien probe. Well, with proper design, these tiny probes would reach Earth or other solar system planets for exploration as the parent craft passes by within a fraction of the Earth-Sun separation. Uh, they say uh, astronomers would not be able to notice the spray of many probes because they do not reflect enough sunlight for existing survey telescopes to notice them. Uh, the research paper comes after a month of scrutiny over unidentified flying objects over the U.S. 
apparently the uh, uh, scrutiny about this was upped uh, when the Chinese spy balloon was spotted, uh, not really revealed to us by our government, but was spotted by people in Montana with cell phones. Uh, mm -hmm. The government had to uh, acknowledge the fact that this Chinese spy balloon was uh, floating over some of our most sensitive nuclear sites there mm -hmm. in Montana, uh, proceeded to pass over the majority of the United States before finally being shot down over the coast of North Carolina. Uh, when uh, we see these things happening, uh, the question always comes up, and we did get some questions uh, asked before airtime about this. Mm -hmm. Okay, is it possible that we could be being visited by a United Federation of Planets, uh, by some highly advanced society uh, in a star system near to us uh, using technologies that we can't even imagine. Uh, and uh, it does appear that people in very high places, the Pentagon, Harvard University, are paying close attention to this possibility. And reaping the benefits of the legalization of marijuana. <laughs> Well, the, the, the bottom line is uh, these things are becoming uh, incredibly mainstream. It's not just the guy with the hair that sticks straight up on the History Channel saying, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. <laughs> they uh, went on to have careers. Yeah, the, 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 the bottom line is uh, this is being taken seriously in the highest forms of government. So what is a Christian point of view about all of this? Well, two things that we got to understand, and uh, I'll try to be as brief as possible. If you want to follow up with more questions on this, we certainly can. Number one, does the Bible allow for the possibility of intelligent life on other planets? Well, to get the sarcasm out of the way, I'm not sure we found intelligent life on our planet yet. Uh, but, <laughs> there go this article. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, the, the bottom line is this. Uh, there are those very solid Christian thinkers who probably are a lot brighter than I am, like C.S. Lewis, who believe that was a possibility. Their theory was that uh, if there was life, intelligent life on other planets, because uh, life fell here on Earth and the Earth is dominated by sin and death, uh, we would be quarantined from any decent civilization <laughs> that was out there. But C.S. Lewis uh, allowed for that possibility, even wrote a series of books called Perilandra and, and uh, and others, uh, others about that possibility. So I, I don't want to say that non uh, that uh, believers in Christ can't uh, come to that conclusion. But here is why I am incredibly skeptical about the possibility of life on other planets from a strictly scriptural point of view. The bottom line is when we take a look at the dealings of God with planet Earth that we find revealed in Scripture. First of all, we see that Earth was central to God's creative activity. In other words, the Earth existed according to the book of Genesis prior to the sun, the moon, and the planets. This is where it all began, if you will, if we are to take Genesis as the uh, historical document that it presents itself to be. Uh, the other thing that we discover is this. Events here on planet Earth had universal consequences. The fall of man here on earth, according to passages like Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, caused the entire creation to groan together and travail until now. Uh, it wasn't just something that we could say, well, the earth is quarantined. Uh, the entire universe that we look out at now is a very hostile place. Uh, radiation, supernovas, quasars, uh, black holes, things like this. 
certainly don't fit the description of a creation that is immune from sin and death. Uh, The bottom line is, prior to the fall of mankind, according to Genesis chapters 1, uh, 2, and 3, and passages like Romans chapters 5 and 6 and Romans chapter 8, uh, before the fall of man, there was no death. Sin was the thing that caused death, the separation from our Creator. The rebellion that we have against our Creator was what invited death into God's previously very good creation. So when we see how sin and death on this world affected the entire universe, uh, it makes me skeptical uh, about the idea that there would be other sentient life about that. Mm. The other thing is this. When God decided to enter into this creation, he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He came here to earth. Uh, He didn't become a Vulcan. He didn't become a Klingon. He didn't name your uh, fantasy species that's out there. He became a man, and as we see him revealed in the book of Revelation, Jesus continues to manifest himself as the God-man forever. So it would be very odd to me if uh, there were other life forms out there that were intelligent, uh, able to have a relationship with God, if uh, God was so exclusive about uh, even the incarnation of his Son. When we take a look at how God is going to wrap up dealings in this universe, it all revolves around events that take place here on planet Earth. Mm. After uh, Jesus returns to his creation physically, he's not setting up shop on Vulcan. He sets up his kingdom here on Earth. After a thousand years, this creation coming to an end, after the great white throne judgment, the entire heavens and the Earth are going to be remade into a place where there's no sin or death or anything like that, all because of what happens here on planet Earth. Mm. So when when people say, well, you know, if there were box creatures on another planet, couldn't Jesus have become a box creature and died for them? C.S. Lewis posited that sort of thing. I imagine that's a possibility. But in light of the clear revelation of God's Word, I am incredibly skeptical of that. Now, this isn't a hill that I'm going to die on. This isn't what I would call an essential of the faith that you believe that uh, the earth is the only place with sentient choosing uh, life able to have a relationship with God. We simply aren't told that there's anything else, but we are told by science that every uh, other endeavor about trying to find life or even the most primitive forms of life in this universe has come up empty so far. We discover that the earth really is a privileged planet. Uh, in uh, dramas and books like Contact, uh, the uh, theme was, well, if we are the only ones out there, isn't that very lonely? Not if there's a God out there who made all things to display his glory and cares about us personally. The loneliness goes away. Uh, wouldn't it be a great waste of space? No, because uh, Genesis 19, or I should say Psalm 19, tells us the heavens are declaring the glory of God. God has different purposes from the creation than what we might suppose. So uh, when I see these things about suggesting alien motherships and probes and things along this line, there's a whole naturalistic philosophy that undermines this, that says, well, if life emerged by chance here on earth, it had to have emerged somewhere else. Really? But here are the key words, by chance. Uh, if life is inev- If life is inevitable, intelligent life is inevitable, spiritual life is inevitable, simply by the random chance of uh, evolution from abiogenesis onward, um, well, then 
okay, maybe there are federations of planets and galaxies far, far away uh, that uh, have their own deals going on, their own space operas taking place. Interesting how you infer purpose to purposelessness. Yeah, but again, the more we take a look uh, at the universe around us, we look at the situation of planet Earth and the exact precision that the even the entire universe, the amount of gravity in the universe, the, the fine-tuning even of subatomic particles in the universe mm. to support life here on this planet, uh, make it possible in the first place. So the fact that uh, just one of the four components of the DNA molecule, adenine, uh, thymine, cyacine, and guanine, uh, for one of them to come together by chance, by accident, the odds have been calculated in 1 in 10 to the 605th power. Uh, that is a huge number. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we're told by probability theory, if something is greater than 1 in 10 to the 50th power uh, of happening, it won't happen. Mm. You can give it all the time, all you know the, the ingredients. It's just not mm. going to happen. There's a possibility that an elephant could spontaneously become a helicopter. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So uh, when we take a look at that, we seem like we see God's fingerprints all over this. But uh, when you have a society and an intelligentsia, the so-called elites, uh, the people running the government, who operate from this naturalistic bias, um, you're going to come up with this uh, having to explain the rise of life. You either have to say it's no big deal, it can happen everywhere, or like some of the comments that have been made about this so-called Hawaiian scout thing that uh, revolved around the sun, uh, well, maybe we were planted here. Uh, you know, again, the uh, discoveries of the DNA molecule uh, came up with the idea that uh, the odds of DNA coming together, the odds of life arising spontaneously by chance are so outrageous that if you've seen the alien movies, you know that the theory now is that we were engineered by space mm -hmm. monkeys, by some engineers, if you will, by some advanced civilization. Yeah. Uh, but it's really begging the question because design demands a designer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, order doesn't arise out of chaos. Explosions in print shops don't make encyclopedias. Uh, so uh, rather than uh, acknowledging the creator, uh, we uh, hold down the truth of God and unrighteousness, Romans chapter 1 goes. And a lot of these space operas, uh, they used to be called horse operas, but now they're space operas. A lot of these articles, a lot of uh, this money being poured into uh, these kind of things, are all driving home a particular spiritual point of view, which says there is no God, we are all there is, maybe there's others out there, and if there is, boy, we're just part of one big galactic family that all arose out of chance, uh, so if all we got is each other, well, isn't that wonderful? Then I no longer have to worry about being accountable to an ultimate judge who may or may not buy into my well-worked rationalizations for living to stimulate my nerve endings. So... You know, be really careful when you see these things. Yeah. Any and comments? Just one last thing before we get to the questions. Also note that the enemy isn't stupid. He knows very well what will get Good our point. attention and what the modern culture is most susceptible to. If there are entities out there that can take physical form, we do know that God is in control, that they can't do things without his permission, but that one of the marks of judgment of God on a nation and on a world at this point that is in rebellion against him is to hand them over to a lie. We see that in Romans chapter 1 and 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 2. And in this act of judgment, that may be the permitting of evil spirits to essentially give us what we want. In one generation, it may be the manifestation of pagan entities. In this generation, it might be the uh, incursions of Xenos upon our fair plane. But when it comes to the actual reality at work here, even if an entity, and I'm not saying this because I'm stacking the deck like some internet atheist saying that there's no way I could be convinced. It is more rational for us to come to the conclusion, in light of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, for us to conclude that even an, an alien entity materializing himself, appearing and speaking to us, to be a fallen angel espousing false doctrine and denial of God, then it would be for this to be an actual biological entity that spawned from chance on some other planet. So the point being made is this, when we're talking to people about these things, don't just shoot them down. There may give you plenty of opportunities. You may even get a marijuana joke in like I did earlier, but it's not going to get you anywhere. The goal and the focus of all these conversations is to bring it back to Jesus. And the reason why we can maintain skepticism about these things isn't for skepticism's sake, but for the fact that there is other information, as my father was stating, that give us more reason to believe what's been stated in Scripture than what's being espoused right. by our government. Because why would they lie? The point being made is that. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. And yeah, as far as some people might say, well, I just don't buy uh, the, the Genesis uh, origins, uh, the, the worldview that comes out of Genesis. Well, uh, it's a free country, and you're certainly... Uh, able to have that point of view. Mm -hmm. Why do I take that point of view? Well, numerous reasons, but the bottom line is because Jesus Christ took that point of view. He saw Adam and Eve as historical people. Mm -hmm. He didn't see them as right. fictional. Uh, he talked about uh, the fall of man as being a reality that mm -hmm. explains the condition that we are in. Uh, and uh, if Jesus took that point of view, then uh, I've got a, a, a choice I need to make. Uh, you know, I, modern scientists, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's, uh, mm. uh, you know, Carl Sagan's, these individuals like that might advocate these things. But Carl Sagan, who wrote Cosmos and popularized really the, the naturalistic point of view and the idea that we might have hope of contact with aliens, um, no disrespect intended, but he lies a moldering in the grave right now. But Jesus Christ not only said that Genesis was reliable, that it was historical, but also he proved his credentials for being taken seriously as someone that reveals reality to us mm -hmm. by rising from the dead. Yeah. And so if some skeptic wants to get into it about all of that, uh, ultimately the best thing we can do is say, all right, let's talk about the resurrection. Let's talk about the historical evidence for the resurrection because uh, cut me on that one and I bleed to death. Yep. Uh, but uh, that's the hill I'll die on and these other things interesting to talk about. But if we can't bring them back to the person of Jesus Christ, his credibility, the evidence for his claim to be God who was there at Genesis, proved by his resurrection, then we're spinning our wheels. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> crazy times. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you indeed, go. Indeed, but there you go. This is this ain't the, his, the history channel. It's not the. I'm not saying it's aliens. It's aliens. This right. is the Pentagon. This is Harvard University. Yeah, yeah. Your tax dollars at work. Yeah, no. incredible. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Uh, well, wow, we wow, have wow. we have questions coming on. In if you guys are ready, um, question from Guru. He has two questions. I, I believe these are unrelated. Um, yeah. The spirit of the cherubim is in the wheels. What does this mean? Um, 
Yeah, that's from Ezekiel from 1. Ezekiel, and then yeah. he had another passage. It was in uh, Zechariah 5, 9. Yeah, it was, was regarding that... the vision of a woman and the uh, two women carrying her in a basket with wings like storks. Yeah. So the significance of that. Um, the Ezekiel one, you're, you're, I, I could rant on this for a while. You're going through Ezekiel tonight. Do you want to take that one? Yeah, as simple as as uh, we can uh, can make this, we are uh, allowing ourselves uh, in the book of Ezekiel to see the fabric of reality literally torn asunder. Uh, Ezekiel is allowed to see the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we might imagine, when we come face to face with the true and living God, or even servants of the true and living God, the cherubim, as they are called, uh, the cherubs. Mm. Uh, these are awesome creatures that absolutely blow our minds. One is like a man, one is like an ox, another is like a flying eagle, uh, and uh, I'm forgetting one. Uh, which one did I man. Uh, mention? I mentioned a man, uh, eagle, eagle, lion. 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 Yeah. And uh, But it doesn't stop there. It talks about them having six wings, it talks about them having hands, it mm. talks about them being associated with wheels, within wheels with eyes all over them, which kind of creeps me out a little bit. (laughs) Um, You know, you wonder why when uh, people like Daniel and the Apostle John saw the glory of God, why they fainted dead away. Well, I look at these angelic messengers of God, and if one of them manifested themselves to me, I would probably uh, Mm -hmm. almost have a heart attack from fright. Uh, This is not the kind of realm that I tend to swim in, right? But it would make sense that if we are dealing with ultimate reality, it would be ultimately uh, above and beyond anything that we could wrap our minds around. And Mm -hmm. that's probably the safest place to leave these uh, manifestations of Mm -hmm. these angelic messengers. Now, if if you study them and you begin to say, okay, why uh, these four manifestations, why the the eagle and the the lion and and the ox and, uh, and so on, uh, you know, there are um, scriptural hints of the idea that uh, the main standards of the different uh, nations that that headed up the groups of the people of Israel mm-hmm. had these images as a standard, a picture of God's surrounding presence around his people. Uh, there are those who see the same manifestations in the book of Revelation and see this these uh, cherubim as a reflection of the glory of God in a unique way that uh, as a man, God is personal. As a lion, he is majestic. As an ox, he loves us sacrificially uh, and and so on. Uh, you know, when we, we see these things manifested, we begin to understand something else. We're going to talk a little bit about this tonight because mm-hmm. uh, in Ezekiel uh, chapters uh, 8 and 9, we see the uh, cherubs show up and they're associated with the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really interesting, the word cherub, you know what it means, the, the root word of it? Mm. It means literally a blessing. Oh. Uh, in other words, uh, these are intended to be a blessing mm. from God mm. uh, to us. Mm. It doesn't mean that they don't mean business. One right. cherub was placed in front of the Garden of Eden and wouldn't allow man to go back in and eat of the fruit of the tree of life. Was that a blessing? Yeah, mm. because if man ate of the fruit of the tree of life in a fallen state, they would be damned. They would live forever right. in a fallen state. If you ever hear atheists say something about, oh, I don't want to live forever. Man, I can hardly stand living now. I'm 70 years old. I have these aches and pains. Well, if that's what Adam and Eve had done, that's what they would have experienced. Mm. Just the continued decay, but the inability to die. Uh, That would have been a curse beyond all curses. 
But the eternal life is very different. We get a brand new body. It's not going to know decay or death or anything along those lines. So uh, the, the cherubim, even when they were preventing us from getting to the tree of life, intended to be a blessing. The cherubim that we see in the book of Ezekiel, and we're going to see this, are intended by God to be a tremendous blessing. Sometimes you've got to look uh, beyond the obvious to be able to see that blessing. But go ahead. Yeah, and uh, just... Uh get it to the question, wondering the spirit was in the wheels, wasn't asked, describing location. The whole verse describes them going wherever the spirit directed them. So right. the spirit, the mind, the will was directing them where he wanted to go. That's what that passage means. Yeah, the spirit of God was directing their ministry, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Zechariah 5 and verse 9, uh, let me read the passage and then we'll go into it in a bit broader sense. Uh, then I raised my eyes and look, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings. Okay, these are not the kind of women I'm used to. Uh, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. Now, in Hebrew uh, dietary laws, were storks uh, on the menu? Uh, no. No. Neither were... was the hoopoe, by the way. What is that? I, I don't, don't know, know what a hoopoe was, but <laughs> you weren't supposed to eat them. <laughs> so, an unclean animal. Uh, that's going to be important in a minute. But they lifted up the basket. What basket? That's also why you don't just read one verse. Uh, between earth and heaven. And it goes on in verse 10 to note Zechariah doing us all a favor, asking the questions that we would probably be hesitant to. Uh, he said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it, in the land of Shinar. Now, Shinar is a reference to what? The plain where the Tower of Babel was uh, originally erected. So modern-day Iraq, Iran, that yeah, kind of region. Yeah. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Now, um, obviously, this is a verse in a much larger section of Scripture and is in a series of visions that Zacharias was known for. Now, Zechariah, in his prophecies, he's given these series of visions, and he asks questions. The angel sometimes takes the initiative and says, do you know what this means? And he goes, no, no, I don't. And he explains to them what was relevant for him in prophesying to his nation. Now, what's interesting about the Old Testament is a lot of information is put forward, and it's going to be explained into the future. A great example would be the chapter right before this, where the vision of the two lampstands is essentially presented as a source, an outpouring of God's Spirit through these two vessels. And it's a very interesting picture of these tubes basically continuously providing oil into a lampstand so it'll never go out. Mm -hmm. But the fulfillment of this prophecy isn't given to us until the book of Revelation, chapter 11, excuse me, where what was, interestingly enough, uh, described these two lampstands as human beings actual prophets who would perform signs and miracles during the day of the Lord. So when we're given this sort of information, we need to have not necessarily a dim eye view, but a broad eye view and saying, okay, this is either about to be explained or it's going to be. Or in the case of Zechariah, maybe it already has, but that's not the case here. Now, Zechariah was in a company of many of the major and minor prophets who were all repeating the same thing, Ignatium, going all the way back to the time of Joel and Isaiah. And that was, your guys' idolatry is going to have a reckoning. You are going to be carried into captivity to the land of what? 
Babylon, right. land of Shinar. Now, this message was put on repeat for 400 years. Israel was warned. Israel was told this is what's coming. Israel was told this is why it's happening and given chances to repent, just like Canaan before them, just like Egypt after them, and on and on it goes. But what's interesting about this prophecy is that it presents these the picture of these three women, uh, one of which was described in verse 8 as wickedness, who's thrown into a basket and put the cover over it. Then these two women with stork wings carry the basket to Babylon. Now, the picture in broad strokes is what? The wickedness is brought to Babylon. Okay, I can see how that's, you know, just in general. Israel's been wicked, they're going to be brought to Babylon. But what's the picture of these two women with stork's wings? Well, what's important to note, first of all, is that this is not a actual sight into events going on in heaven. Israel wasn't represented by this wicked woman in a basket, and that was somehow reflected here on earth. An event on earth is being illustrated for Zacharias, and from that, or Zachariah, excuse me, and from that we're given a point. Right. What? That captivity is coming, that your wickedness will put you in Babylon. So if these two women with storks' wings aren't literal entities, but meant to be a picture of something, what are they? Well, not one, but two nations were involved in bringing Israel, the nation as a whole, into captivity during the time they were judged for idolatry, Assyria and Babylon. Now, I know probably more than I should about these nations' histories. To give you guys a condensed version, <laughs> they were weird. They were scary. They were brutal. They were even downright evil. And noting the description of these entities as not only women, but as stork-wing-like creatures, both of these were foreign and unclean to the Jewish people. So even if you want to argue, well, that fits the common artistic moniker of what I see an angel to be. Already then, that's kind of cringy because, as we're told in Scripture, only two types of angels are described with wings that are the burning ones, the seraphim, and the blessed ones, the cherubim. Everyone else, the archangel Gabriel, for example, and I hesitate to even call him an archangel, he's a messenger for sure, but Gabriel is described as what, and only what, a man. Right. A glorious man, right. but a man nonetheless. Uh, when Mary, Zechariah, Daniel, and everyone else who had the pleasure of interacting with him looked at him, they didn't go, why do you have appendages that aren't common to human beings? No, he, he looked like a human being. They only describe him as that. When these angelic creatures take a form, it's obviously to their preference and their disposition at the time, but in calling the least amount of attention to themselves, we need to understand the picture of the strong armored you know, entity with giant eagle wings that span three times the size of their body, that's not a biblical angel. And likewise, cherubim and seraphim aren't angels. The word angel means messenger. It's a job description, not a genus. Mm -hmm. So when these entities, these pictures of wickedness, of uncleanness, of Gentile nations, are bringing Israel's wickedness into captivity to the land of Shinar, it's a picture in broad strokes of captivity taking place. And it follows with the same theme, much like with Jesus' parables. If you don't understand the meaning of one, try and look at the ones around it because they might be repeating themselves. The uh, vision that was immediately before this one in the same chapter is explained in a lot more detail. Let me just read it. It says, Then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. 
He said to me, the angel speaking to Zechariah, what do you see? So I answered and said, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and it's with 10 cubits. A cubit is the distance between the tip of your finger to your elbow outstretched, about 18 inches. So these were, uh, this was a big piece of uh, uh, real estate, if you will. But he said to me, this is the curse. So literally explained what the significance of this is. That goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll. Every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. So the writing on the scroll incurs legal penalties. Note that. Then it says, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with timber and stones. Why was Israel going into captivity? Because they had claimed the name of God, but were doing anything and everything but. We're going to be talking a bit about that in our study through Ezekiel tonight. And to his credit, Ezekiel wasn't sharing anything new. All the prophets have been repeating this message ad nauseum. But the point being made is this. If consequences are coming, what are those consequences? The next vision. You're going to be taken into captivity in Shinar. What are the two women? Well, two nations were involved in bringing Israel into captivity. I'd say that's your best bet without getting into weird, I won't mention his name, bizarre teacher territory. Right. And the right. point being made is that if we can take this in plain strokes, that the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense lest you believe in nonsense. Obviously, this is plainly stating two women with stork wings are carrying a woman in a basket. What's the meaning of that? Okay, let's take a step back and go into symbols. What was going on at Zacharias's time? And, of course, what was going on in Israel as a whole that would fit into this. I think that's the most appropriate interpretation. And if later passages may provide more insider detail, I'd be happy to hear them. But given the nature of the major and minor prophets all repeating this message and that no other explanation was given, it assumes that we know what it's talking about, right. which was what was started in chapter 1. Israel's called to repentance, lest you be taken away into captivity. Um, there are people with other opinions as far as the significance of these women. I don't give them a lot of credence because they have to depend on a lot of extra-biblical sources. If you can stay in the Bible to interpret it, you're doing great. Yeah. Um, Zechariah uh, was speaking to uh, exiles who had returned. The vast majority of exiles were still in Babylon. Uh, the uh, important thing to understand is that uh, although life in Babylon was comfortable, uh, it certainly wasn't God's choice for the people of Israel to remain there indefinitely after they learned their lesson. I think that's pretty clear in the passage. Okay. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, Gru, thank you for your, for your question. Hope that helps you out. And once again, uh, Wednesday evenings, we're going through the book of Ezekiel at 6.30, so just half an hour after we come offline with a reason for hope. Um, 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday, we're going through the book of Ezekiel. So you can join us on all the same channels and the same uh, archive as well if you want to get more into that book. So very good study indeed. A uh, question from Alexander. Uh, plague of locusts, what is this? Is this a literal bottomless pit? Is this locust an actual creature or symbolic of something else? Could it be a mutation? Could it be uh, an undiscovered species of locusts? No. So questions on Revelation, right? Well, it does appear to be demonic, doesn't it? Yeah, Revelation 9 is very clear. Uh, when it comes to this, obviously reading Revelation, they put it in the back for a reason. Uh, if you haven't read the first 65 books, the 66th is going to go over your head. Yeah. Revelation Not a great 9, place to start, I yeah. would say, yeah. Yeah, Revelation 9 heavily, 
heavily references not just the Old Testament, but in particular in this chapter, the book of Joel. And the book of Joel literally describes a plague of locusts that was taking place, some believe, during the time of King Solomon, maybe shortly after. But this judgment from God was a picture of the nation of Babylon that would also come in and tear the nation to pieces, that it would leave paradise before it and a barren wasteland behind yeah. it. That they and, would be, Assyria as well. Yeah. yeah, and they would be, and obviously people say, oh, this is like prophesying uh, helicopters and so forth. Um, <laughs> the, helicopters, unless they take the building down with them, don't crawl into windows and end up in every crook and corner of your home. So that's out. But the point being made is in Revelation, we're told the significance of its features. Those are certainly symbols that have significance. We can go into them in more detail if you'd like. But in reference to the abyss being literal, um, Jesus treated it as such when the demons were asking him not to be sent into an actual place, not a symbolic state of mind. Uh, There's also an important note in that when these entities are unleashed on the earth, this is the fifth trumpet judgment, which is following an increasing intensity and frequency towards the day of the Lord, ultimately, when he returns to judge this earth. And what's important to note about this is that, kind of following the theme, every fifth plague, in reference to the series of judgments, we take a literal approach, by the way, for those of you listening. Um, In Revelation, what was the fifth seal judgment? Uh, Mass persecution of Christians around the globe is allowed to break out, and everyone's crying out for justice, and they're told to wait. Right. The fifth trumpet judgment is what? Demonic hordes are released on the earth to torment man for five months. Right. The fifth bowl judgment, the peak of that, what was it? Darkness falls on the kingdom of the Antichrist, and people are literally exposed to as much of hell as this world will allow, in direct reference, by the way, to the Exodus, where Egypt was subjected to the same thing. So when we're talking about this situation, uh, to say that it's, uh, oh, well, what if these uh, scorpion locusts are like those uh, flying scorpions we found in Australia, for example? And of course, it would be Australia. But, <laughs> but they, Is there anything in Australia that won't kill you? I know, right. <laughs> or at least make you hurt a lot. No, because we're described the outcome of Sorry these. for our Aussie friends, but you're probably <laughs> they agree more with aware us. of that than I am. Yeah, bird-eating yeah. spiders yeah. and yeah. such. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, what was I telling you? Um, the idea of the... Uh, entities stinging you, uh, we are literally given something that is impossible without supernatural intervention, a state of five months where these entities will be going throughout the entire earth and not killing anyone, but tormenting them for five months and making it so that during this set period of time, people will be unable to die. And they're also very selective about their victims, correct? They cannot touch the people who belong to the Lord in reference to Revelation chapter 7. Can't do that with a helicopter, can you? And I don't think you can train (laughs) bugs to do that either. But when we're talking about the situation, obviously there's little bits and pieces, and this is always the case with prophecy, that people try to fit in and say, oh, see, this is what those are going to be. No, those things are going to be much worse. But when it comes to the consciousness, they have a leader behind them who's a literal demon, Abaddon. Some think it's Satan, some think it's another entity. I take the latter interpretation, feel free to ask. But the point being made is these have a conscious will behind them, a spiritual origin, a literal place of separate, or I guess confinement, that's only in reference and used in the Gospels to refer to demons, the abyss, where they didn't want to be sent. These entities are unleashed from 
So in place of origin, in place of leadership, and in place of purpose, they're all spiritual entities interacting with this physical world, but only for a set time. So for that reason, I don't think that they're locusts. Because of the common language in Joel chapter 2, I don't think it's a symbolic event. I think it'll be a literal one. And because of my handling of Scripture as a whole, much like the rest of the plagues of Revelation, I also believe there'll be plagues of Egypt, literal and direct acts of judgment on the world. Yeah, I would agree. And, uh, you know, the the temptation that I think uh, people run into is because the book of Revelation is looking forward to future events, and it does talk uh about things that we would experience that would absolutely boggle the minds of someone who lived in the first century. Mm-hmm. Some people say, well, maybe this is just an attempt uh, to try to describe you know, 21st century technology from a first century point of view. Well, that sold a lot of books. And, and again, there are those with a very high view of scripture whose take on prophecy I would generally agree with who, who have said that. But there's one big problem with that. Uh, the Revelation is just that. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not, hey, John, I'm going to show you some things, and I hope you get this right. Um, You know, we are told, for instance, the process, the inspiration of Scripture, is that prophets spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, uh, not moved by their own experiences or trying to, you know, again, describe something that is technological and in the future. Now, God again, moved upon the Apostle John to describe these events specifically in the way that he wanted them described. Uh, and uh, I think uh, the spiritual reality of all of that makes a whole lot more sense than trying to uh, lower in it the, uh, the, the descriptions here down to the technological. Mm. Yeah, and um, it may be a follow-through. I'll just cap it off with this. The next plague, I also believe, is similarly demonic. There are people who say, well, it's a human army, and that's describing technological things. I don't doubt that humans will be involved, but I think the 200 million man army that's going to be unleashed will, in fact, be demonic entities as well. Or demonically inspired. Yeah, and it's a secondary issue, as you yeah. can see. Yeah. Mm. All right, Alexander, thank you for that question. I hope that, that helps you out. Some good information there for you. A uh, question from Yari. Hey, Yari, how you doing? Thank you for your question. He asks, uh, this is like Revelation and Antichrist. Um, is it? Related to, I, th- I, I think so. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll let you guys decide. What is the wound to the head? Um, is this some kind of uprising taking place? Thanks. Is that the Antichrist? So you will recover from a wound to the... Yeah, well, if the you're in reference to Revel- thir- yeah, Revelation you're- 13, uh, we are told that one of the things that propels the Antichrist to power in this world, causes the world to follow him, uh, again, the scripture says this, uh, after describing the beast, uh, it says, uh, the dragon gave him authority, uh, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? Now, some people will say, well, you know, this could be one of the a coalition of nations that was involved here, you know, the heads of the the, the beast and, and so on. But it does appear uh, that it is an actual human being. We are told he, again, speaking of the false prophet, the protege of the Antichrist in Revelation 13 and verse 14, uh, we are told he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the first beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Uh, this does uh, seem to strongly indicate that we are talking uh, about a uh, 
an individual, uh, not mm -hmm. uh, some kind of uh, image of uh, a nation. Yeah, so Zechariah so, 11 also mentions them there being physical consequences to his head wound, that when he is struck, his right eye will be darkened and his right arm crippled. Yeah, so uh, this guy is going to uh, be, I believe he will be an individual that the world knows, um, but uh, certainly not able to reveal himself as the Antichrist until such time as we are taken out of the way, so Satan can go ahead and uh, exercise uh, the full deceptive authority of his power. Uh, the, the debate is, is this is an actual resurrection that is allowed to happen in this thing? Mm. Is it a deception, a sleight of hand? Mm. Uh, we're really not told, but the whole world is going to think that he is actually resurrected, that he receives this mortal head wound mm. and is uh, resurrected. Why? Because Satan has not had an original thought in his life. Uh, in, in order to present his false messiah, he tries to come as close as he possibly can Right. to the credibility of the true Messiah. Jesus' right. death on the, the cross uh, absolutely certified. No way Jesus could have survived all of that. The Romans made sure of that. And his resurrection from the dead three days later. So yeah. we see that parallel there. Right. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Yari. I hope that, that helps you out and answers your question. A uh, question from Dwayne. He asks, is the third temple here? Not yet. If uh, what you're referencing, the three temples, there's four technically, uh, but the temples that have been built throughout history, the first temple, that period was the time of King Solomon, the prophets and so forth. It ended in the destruction of Babylon. When it was rebuilt by Nehemiah and Ezra, they, of course, would be introducing the second temple period, which right. was not rebuilt but renovated by Herod the Great. That technically falls into the second temple period, which Jesus saw the end of was destroyed in 70 AD. The third temple is the picture in mind of the Antichrist rebuilding it because in order to fulfill Daniel chapter 11, putting an end to sacrifice and offering, he would have to have, have a, a temple, temple so <laughs> to do to, sacrifice and offering. Yeah, But uh, that's the idea is we're still waiting for the third temple to be built. The fourth temple will be rebuilt by Messiah himself. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. We've got about four minutes left here. A few more questions. Uh, these questions came from recently we were at the, uh, the Southwest Calvary Chapel Pastors and Leaders Conference, and a couple of questions that got put in our box there. Uh, one from Mara, she asked, does God truly forget our sins after we repent and turn from them? That's an interesting question. Does God forget our sins truly? Well, in the sense of uh, holding them over our heads, right. uh, he does not. Uh, you know, there are passages uh, where it talks about how uh, in uh, Psalm 103, it says that he has removed our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. Now, that doesn't mean that God suddenly, you know, doesn't mind wipe, you know, that, that yeah. he just doesn't, you know, limit his omniscience or diminish his attributes. But there's an idea of remembering in the sense of visiting judgment upon something. Uh, there's an idea of remembering in Scripture of God remembering his mercy uh, the book, the the name Zechariah literally means God remembers, yep. and uh, Zechariah written to this ragtag group of individuals trying their best to you know scrape together an existence after the Babylonian exile. Uh, it was a real reaffirmation of the fact that God mm. remembered to show mercy. So when you know it talks about does God remember our sins? Uh, yeah, he remembers them because Jesus is going to carry the scars necessary to pay the price for our sins forever. Is he going to remember them in terms of shame, in terms mm. of putting us down? Well, Romans 8 and verse 1 excludes that possibility. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are told in the book of Colossians that God took the decree which was hostile to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, God isn't going to forget the sacrifice of his son. In Revelation chapter 5, when Jesus comes on the scene, he's described as what? A lamb as if he'd been slain, Mm. still carrying the wounds of the crucifixion. That's going to be part of the glory of Mm. Jesus forever and ever. So in a sense, there is going to be that remembrance of what put us there, but uh, there is not going to be a remembrance in the sense of, well, I'm going to forgive you, but I'll never forget it. That's what we're worried about there. Well, that lowers God down to our uh, flailed and failed attempts to forgive. Uh, When God forgives, he forgives perfectly, but it doesn't mean that he compromises his omniscience, that is knowing everything to do it. Anything you'd add to that? Uh, well, because we've got a minute left, I, I saw you guys interacted online with John, but he asked um, from the complete book of Bible trivia, what two animals owned by the Philistines carried the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel? Cows. First Samuel chapter 6 tells us they were two cows that had never had a yoke put upon them. Mm. Which was not normal. Cows. Yeah. Wow. Not beasts of burden. Yeah. Well, there yeah. you go. First Samuel 6, 7, I think, yeah. is where that is. I know Excellent. it's early. Yeah. 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 Well... I don't know, Sean, if you can do one of your bullet questions. Yeah, Kaylee we can deal with in two sentences. Yeah, okay, good. Well, Kaylee asks, what if Saul never became Paul? Same answer we'd give to what if something that did happen didn't. It did. Yeah. (laughs) Answer longer. That was a (laughs) five-second. Well, you know, I think... It's that simple. Yeah, but I I do think, you know, going back to an insight we get from the book of Esther, Mordecai said to Esther, if you do not uh, respond to this, deliverance will come from another quarter. If Saul had never become Paul, God would have raised up someone else yeah. because there were God's 500 will qualified people will never uh, be thwarted. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's the point. That's what I think with that question: Can we thwart God's plans? What if we don't, you know, follow well, Him we, and we what can, He's calling to? We can to? certainly disqualify ourselves from being a part of that plan, but that doesn't mean that God's plan won't be fulfilled. Right. Uh, it's so much more fun and exciting to be a part of what God is doing. Right. We certainly want to keep our place ourselves in a place where we are usable for God's uh, glory and whatever comes our way. Yeah, yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on A Reason for Hope. We'll be back again tomorrow, same time, Ezekiel same places. Tonight. That's Jump right. Jump in with us, half an hour. That's yeah. right, stick around. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful evening. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.